I think it's just all about really finding what's passionate, what, what you're passionate about and doing it because I, I think it's people can see that very, very clearly and instantly on YouTube. And if it's, you know, if it's a cover that you're just kind of like, yeah, it's cool, but it's popular, whatever, I'll do it. Like, I don't know. I feel like if you're doing something, it should sound like you. Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your host, AJ Meyer. And I'm your other host, Trevor Algott. And coming up in episode 253, the first episode of season 13 of this year podcast, I sit down for part one of my conversation with DIY independent musician Marie Shao. That's actually her music that you're hearing right now. Produced three albums, made countless music videos, has had several of her songs placed in TV shows and commercials, and has built a YouTube community of fans almost 90,000 strong. And today, in part one, we chat about how she did it and how she continues to do it her creative process, the technology she leverages, and why both artist dates and having a bias for action are key to her process and continued success. That and more coming up in episode 253. Stick around. I swear that I've been here before. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from Rehearsal Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. It's now available in the iTunes App Store, so if you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, make stronger choices, and do a whole lot more, Go right now to rehearsal.pro slash IAP to learn about all the great new features in the new version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. We've got an event coming up Sunday, October 23rd, kicking off at, uh, I think, 10 a.m. Yeah, 10 a.m. Uh, it's a discounted headshot session with Best Headshots LA photographer Adam Emperor Southern. So there's a graphic on the website. There's a graphic in the newsletter. All the details are on that, but you want to block out Sunday, October 23rd. It's going to start at 10 a.m. The slots are going to be in 30-minute chunks. It's $100 for one look, and there is a discount for IAP members. Adam has a list of members, and if you call and say, I'm a member, he'll give you a discount. And there's also going to be a makeup artist there available for $25 if you would like to take advantage of that. But this is a great opportunity to get some really great headshots for maybe a new look that your portfolio has been lacking uh, check out Adam's work online, bestlaheadshots.com, and uh, reach out directly to him. All his info is on the flyer. Uh, so reach out directly to him to book your time slot and get ready to have a great time with a bunch of other people in the community on October 23rd. I am very excited. <laughs> Actually. Yeah, I've shot with Adam several times, and he's always a joy to shoot with, and I'm always blown away, not only at, at how like just easy and fun 
the actual session is, but he has like a really, um, I don't know, it's like almost like a proprietary uh, retouching process that he takes uh, a few of your, you know, better photos through that always just blow me away. You know, they, he's really good at making the photos uh, po- like appear polished and professional and, and really pop without like washing out the, fa- he doesn't just crank up the exposure. You know, he, he really does a good job of, of making the photos pop without making you look like, you know, a statue or a, a wax figurine, you know, like sometimes happens with, uh, with some retouching. Really excited to, um, you know, see, see people there and, and have people take advantage of that. Uh, what is new in your world, AJ? Uh, not much, man. Open and close the show this week. Yes. And once again, thank you so much for coming. That was, um, so awesome of you. Um, yeah, you rock it was it, great man. to have you there. Thanks buddy. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun and, uh, I'm excited to, I mean, you know, obviously I'm not done because, uh, as long as the show is up, I am, uh, essentially on call. But, uh, as far as my two guaranteed performances, I am, I am done. So, um, so yeah. So what, what happens? Like, let's say one of the actors, I mean, I assume like if they get sick or they book something else, you are like, you know, at the drop of a hat slotted in for that performance. So you, you're yes. basically on call as if you were like a medical doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it is that serious. Yeah. Life or death. Life show must go on um i'm, I'm curious <laughs> so uh, when it comes to like actors equity and stuff how, how do they compensate you for an understudy role um so that theater so actually uh, boston court that's an interesting question with boston court because they are one of the sort of um i forget what the equity is calling them like trend transitionary theaters where they're like they're not really small enough to be considered a 99 seat theater uh, but they're not big enough to be considered um uh, part of the league of regional theaters theater so they're like somewhere in between um so i don't think boston court was forced to change their policy very much in terms of pay with this whole um change in the in the union uh requirements or union stipulations so what they do for all actors including understudies although i think it's different for understudies is there's a rehearsal stipend and then you get paid per performance um and both of those things are more than you would make it uh uh, the vast majority of 99 seat theaters in la gotcha gotcha and you are uh you're headed out of town this weekend for something uh, I, I may be, uh, I may be going to Vegas. Yes. Okay. It's, uh, I, I went last year. I don't, I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast, but, uh, every year, this is the last year it's happening. So I had to be there, but every year the, um, LA Kings play an exhibition game in, in Vegas before the start of the season. And this is the last year that it's happening. They're opening a, a, a new, um, rink in Vegas because Las Vegas is going to have a hockey team. No uh, They're expanding. They're expanding into the league in uh, the 2017-2018 season. So um, there's a rule in the NHL that says you can't have an exhibition game in a city where there's actually a team. So this will be the last year that they do Frozen Fury, which is the name of the, the Oh, that's the cool. Game. And so, so you, you, and, uh, you and Jazz are just going to drive to Vegas and book a hotel and <laughs> – I'm going with my sister and uh, my family. My parents are going to be there. We're going to go check out Valley of Fire, which is just outside. It's a national park just outside of Vegas. Um, and Jasmine is going to Monterey, 
to celebrate um, some vowel renewals of a friend of hers. Um, so yeah, we're, we're both going away for the weekend, but for different reasons and to different places. Gotcha. So if you, I'm just curious how this would work. Let's say you're in Vegas and you get a call that one of the actors can't go up for the show. Uh, <laughs> what, what happens there? I mean, you're obviously you're trying you're to curse me, aren't you? Bro? No, I'm just, well, I know, I'm just curious, you know, like, cause it's like, it's not the kind of thing that you can put your, yourself, like you can't pause your life for an understudy role, but at the same time, you, you're the agreement is that you are available for these kind of things. Yeah. Uh, I would just have to make it work. I have no idea. I'd have to, yeah, I would, I guess I would have to come back. Wow. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, but the, you, we're not going to worry about that. Okay, cool, man. Cool. <laughs> You're like, put it out of your head. It doesn't exist. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part also by VO2Gogo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best voiceover training four years in a row hands down the best voted by the readers of backstage for one two three four years in a row visit vo the number two gogo.com slash start to get immediate access to a free getting started in voiceover online course that will help you basically get up and running from knowing and having nothing to knowing exactly what you need to do to start, uh, you know, getting out there and booking work and, and building a business as a voiceover artist and being able to add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start. So we've got a few questions from listeners, uh, questions and comments. And the first one uh, that we have on the list here is a, just a cool email from a, a listener named Brett. And uh, Brett says he's been listening to the podcast for a while. He really digs it. So thank you for the kind words, Brett. But he says um, that we have inspired him to try and give back to the community as well. And recently, this is kind of interesting, he noticed a, a group of Wells Fargo ads that have come out. And I haven't seen these. I don't know if you have, AJ. But he says these oh, ads. Yeah. You have seen them. Okay. I posted them on my Facebook, yeah. Okay, and this was this this email came uh, to us a few weeks ago, but he says that these ads have really stoked the ire of many actors because they show happy youngsters with the tagline uh, above them that says "Ballerina today, engineer tomorrow," or "Actor today, botanist tomorrow." So I, I can see why this would sort of uh, ruffle some feathers. He says, these BS ads have pushed me to finally write a book that's been inside me forever, an exploration into how art can make us more financially healthy. That's kind of cool, how art can make us more financially healthy. He says, you've not only inspired uh, me to write this, but to figure out how I can get it to the artist community in a way that brings true value to them. So... I think that's really cool um, that he f he saw these ads that have I guess um, uh, triggered uh, some some artists in the community. The, the message of the ads basically being you can't be a creative person uh, and uh, and be financially successful, or you can, but it's not going to bring you any sort of real financial success unless you're like a respectable profession, like an engineer or a botanist. Is that would, that, would you say that's the sort of message of the ads, AJ? Yeah, I so I just sent you the the picture because they pulled them but i mean it's it's the internet's forever right so it's oh, up they pulled and it's the up. ads <clears throat> yeah wow. and and uh and shortly thereafter the um the scandal of the um opening of the of the phantom accounts broke 
so it was like a it was like a back to back you know blow and then uh there was this amazing video that i also posted of elizabeth warren like taking the uh, wells fargo ceo to task but um wow that's a whole other issue but yeah i i was so it's it's interesting brett saying that you know we inspired him because i was so inspired by this email when we got it um because it's true like not not every there's this story where like the financial side of things and the art side of things are 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 opposed you know and one of the things that i love that came out of this the reaction to these ads were a, a huge portion of like the broadway community for instance was like uh, okay, Wells Fargo, like I'm closing my accounts because there's no reason for me. Like if you don't respect the way I make my money, why should I have it in your bank? Yeah. Essentially. And there was this just massive outcry from the, uh, from the Broadway community and from other artist communities all over the country. And so, uh, I love that it, fueled or inspired Brett to this sort of similar reaction. Yeah. You know, now that I'm looking at the actual images, uh, it, it is pretty, uh, outrageous. Actually. <laughs> yeah. And I unfortunately have been a Wells Fargo customer since, um, I went to college. So we're going on like 14, 15 years now. And, uh, I have, you know, um, open accounts with them. And I have my new pledge is that as soon as my, um, credit card, my Wells Fargo credit card is paid off, I will be, um, closing my accounts and joining a a credit union, probably first entertainment. Wow. But they, they pulled the ads. So obviously they responded and they admitted that they sort of made a mistake. You know, first of all, it's, it's a, it's a big bank. They took bailout money in 2008 Um, then this ad, um, and then these, uh, these business practices that they, you know, were, were, um, uh, fined for, and uh, you, you should watch the, um, the, the video of Elizabeth Warren going after their CEO. It's amazing. Um, and it, it was like, you know, as if, as if, you know, this, uh, these ads weren't enough. Like that was, that followed shortly on the heels. I mean, it was within like weeks that these two things happened. So I was like, yep, I'm, I'm done. Bye-bye. <laughs> I don't need to be supporting, um, that institution. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, when people say vote with your dollar, you know, it, it, that saying is kind of cliched in, in my mind at this point. It's like, we have, we hear that so often that it's almost like, okay, I get it. You know, if you pay for something, they'll just keep doing it. But somebody put it to me recently and they said, like, if you don't, uh, if you don't approve of that business, then stop financing it, mm. like stop mm-hmm. investing in it. And somehow that's a, a, a different way of saying the same thing, but a way that struck me in, in, a, in a new way that it hadn't before. And I thought, wow, I, I'm investing in a business every time I buy a product from them. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I, wow. Okay. You put yeah. it that way. And then in the case of, uh, you know, people who are like permanent residents here, for instance, like Jasmine, that's all she's got. <laughs> you know, um, she will not be able to vote on November 8th. Uh, for those of you not paying attention to the uh, presidential election in this country, uh, first of all, God love you and God bless you. Like, I'm so happy you're able to avoid it. Um, but also, uh, the election's on November 8th, and Jasmine will not be allowed to vote because she's not a citizen. 
And so she, you know, for instance, donated to the um, to Bernie Sanders campaign because that was like a way she could vote. So in terms of voting, you know, that that like you're saying, it's cliche, but but with your dollar, that was a way that she actually could, you know, be involved in the political process of the country she has now called home for, what, seven, eight years. So it's kind of silly that, you know, she's not able to participate in the civic process. But well, that's the way them rules work. Money talks, man. There's no way around it. Money talks. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Well, Brett, uh, this is really cool, man. I'm excited to hear more about this book that you're writing about, how art can make uh, uh, people more financially healthy. I'm really, really excited to hear about that. So please keep us posted uh, about the acting and finance um, marriage in your life. And thanks for writing in. And thanks for, for bringing us up this conversation. And then we also have a, a comment from a longtime listener and really good close friend of the podcast, Eric. So we sort of have to catch up on you know, what he's responding to. He was responding to uh, the young woman who wrote in several episodes back, uh, who's from Alaska, whose college plans got upended when she moved to Los Angeles. And she had heard a lot of bad things about the school, the acting school she was going to go to. So she sort of canceled. She, she dropped out. And then she said, you know, found herself in LA without a, uh, a four year plan like she had. Um, and we responded, you know, in a bunch of different ways. And I think Eric actually ended up summing it up way better than we could have. Um, but she's, he basically was responding to her by saying, you know, my, my thoughts are to not view the actor tool chest as if it was a degree. Uh, you don't take a two-year intensive and then you're all good. I'm good. I'm done. I've, I, have, I have done acting. <laughs> you're going to... If you want to emulate the greats, he says, continue taking classes of various types for the rest of your career. You as a person and an actor are not a finished product. I love that. Mm. In a lot of ways, I find that idea freeing. You don't have to get it perfect and then start pursuing your career. Oh, man, I love that. So he did, like I said, I think a much better job of saying what we were trying to say. Yeah. So there it is. And I can't remember her name, but uh, the uh, the young woman who wrote in uh, asking us this question, uh, I mean, that is like some fantastic advice. And it's also fantastic advice to any actor, any creative person, anyone interested in mastery of any kind. We're, we're not a finished product. Um, and I think the idea of a degree, especially in the U.S., I don't know if it's a similarly cultural a similar cultural phenomenon in other countries where we just think like oh i have this degree and now i'm done like i can check that box yeah you know i i just finished reading big magic which i know you you've read um and and it it, it shifted something in me in terms of uh my relationship to work like she talks over and over in that book. She says it over and over about how, you know, like you just, you have to be, or at least for her journey, she realized that she had to love writing so much that she would do it no matter what, you know, her house burned down. She still writes, you know, her basement floods. She still writes. She makes a million dollars off of an article or a book. She still writes like no matter what she does the work, she shows up and does the work. Like that is her life's work. And, uh, and when I, when I read this um, comment from Eric, I, 
the same thing kind of comes up for me. It's like, yeah, you're, you're never finished. You just, you do the work no matter what you show up, no matter what, there's always going to be circumstances. There's always going to be excuses. There's always going to be that little voice in your head that says, oh, you know, like take it easy today or, or you're done or you're not feeling up to it, you know, but you show up and do it anyway. Uh, that's why I, I love the way that you summed this up, Eric. Thank you very much. Like I said, put it a lot better than we could have. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump into this chat with uh, Marie. I, I loved talking shop with with Marie. I mean, she's obviously a lot further along than I am, but it was such a joy to hear from and chat with uh, an artist that I've enjoyed, you know, whose work I've enjoyed for for years now. She was actually Marie's music was my pick of the week a year or two ago on, on an episode, and I've just I've loved watching her uh, career sort of bloom and her music evolve and her evolve as an artist. She's now got a side project which we talk about in part two. Uh, with a guy named uh, Henry Bardot and the side project is called Perlo and it's just so cool to see her keep doing her thing and uh, so I really enjoyed this and I think even if you're not an actor there's a lot to take away from this especially when it comes to her philosophy when she approaches as far as how she approaches the work and uh, and how she leverages the technology and her sort of ideas around that so uh, enjoy part one of my chat with Marie Shao, and we'll catch you on the other side Hey everybody, this is Trev, and I am really, really excited to be sitting down on one end of a Skype chat with Marie Shao, who's a DIY, in the truest sense of the word, musician and artist. And uh, I, I'm probably more excited to sit down and chat with Marie than I have been for any guest in a long, long time, because as listeners know, I'm delving into the mus- music waters, and uh, and I'm a big fan of the DIY stuff, and Marie is both of those. So Marie, Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So I discovered you years ago uh, via a TuneCore blog post that you wrote about uh, filming and producing, self-producing and self-filming and your self-produced album, um, Winterwell. And you had put together a music video and you had put a blog post together about how you made this beautiful music video for this album, your budget, how you shot it, who you collaborated with, things like that. And so it was really cool to to see that there's people out there making this happen without record labels, without the need for, you know, a big, huge PR team and things like that. Um, so I'm excited to talk about the, the sort of DIY aspect of your career. But before we jump into that, we like to usually start at the beginning and just kind of get a feel for how you, you know, m- moved from birth, so to speak, all the way into uh, this this life path you found yourself on. So uh, we'll start at the beginning. Where were you born? Sure. Um, I was born in New Jersey, two siblings, an older sister, younger brother. And we were all pretty creative. My mom is a painter and my dad... Um, Oh, he works with computers. He's got a very good ear, which like I didn't find out until later. Like he'll be able to pick up a saxophone and just start playing it in like, you know, in a few days. So 
I think that's kind of where I get um, my musicalness from um, and my creativity from my mom's side. When did you feel that first sort of itch to start to tinker around with instruments and, and things like that? Uh, well, my mom had a piano in the house because she played a little bit and she just found that I just kept gravitating towards it. I would just play little tunes here and there. Um, and so I think when I was around like five or something, my mom was like, okay, let's like, let's see how she likes piano lessons. Um, so I started taking them at that time and I would go into these lessons with like little, like short little melodies and ideas. And my teacher was like, oh, that's nice, but let's look in the book now. And I was like, oh no, I don't like that. (laughs) I was like, you know, contrary to like, I, I was very good at math. Um, but very like theory theory music theory was never like my strong suit it just I was like I don't care I just want to play um so luckily my mom was like you know what she has something here so let's try a different teacher and my parents own this antique store and right next door was this man named Todd he had long hair and played like stand-up bass was like super cool and he was like yeah I'll give her piano lessons so um he kind of I think he saw my potential and really catered his teaching style to what I needed. So um, he was the one who kind of taught me how to play by ear and really encouraged me to write my own material. So I owe a lot to him, definitely. Wow. What a cool uh, mentor figure to have to sort of drop into your life. Definitely, definitely. That is really cool. So where did you go to school? You went to school on the East Coast, I think, right? Um, I, I went to um, NYU. There's this program called the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music. And I kind of did a songwriter slash producer slash performer career track because you could kind of um, um, cater your your schedule to what you needed most. Um, so, and that was a lot of fun. I definitely learned a lot um, in terms of just like growing up, maturing, being in an environment where there are a lot of other people out there that are just like you um, and how to like not feel intimidated in that kind of environment. Mm, yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, I, I know that, you know, NYU is a great school and there's uh, that's a really prestigious program. So I'm sure there were a lot of incredibly talented people and there must have been moments of doubt or um, questioning your ability when when being around such incredible talent yeah of course of course and that was kind of the first time I've experienced that feeling because when I started um, making music in high school when I started like releasing my own albums and and getting more popular on YouTube there was not really anyone else around me who was doing the same thing so I just was kind of like I felt great about it it gave me a lot of confidence and I just kept going um and then college which I was like okay yeah lots of other people do this too um but it was kind of like a healthy competition kind of thing where um and we also did a lot of collaboration so I was learning how to deal with those also because um previously I had pretty much worked on music alone so yeah I through different classes like performance and songwriting I was exposed to a lot of new ways to create music cool cool yeah and you mentioned um that you started producing your own stuff in high school and i didn't know that you had sort of started on youtube that early and you've got a very cool story about uh youtube doing cover work and sort of being um i guess like discovered would be the word 
by a yeah. kind of a kind of a big deal kind of person. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, well, I I kind of hopped along YouTube. I think at like the perfect time where it was still very like community based and like um, there weren't a lot of people doing covers then. Um, I mean, nowadays you go on YouTube and they're everywhere. So I feel like it's harder to kind of break through now. But when I started, I think it was maybe like, I want to say like 2009 or something. I had just started posting, um, like covers, like some of pop songs, but, um, I kind of lean more towards music. I really like to listen to. And there was a lot of Bonavere at that point. So I did a lot of, of, um, covers of Justin's and, I, mean, I, I did this cover of, I think it was Michigant, and I posted it online. <clears throat> People really liked it, and I was like, oh, it's great. And I think this was maybe junior year of high school when my mom called me. I was about to miss my bus, and she's like, Marie, like, you need to sit down. I was like, why? What's going on? And I thought like it was news about like, a college I got into or something, um, but... I was like, okay, Justin just retweeted your video. I was like, what? And it was like the most surreal thing ever. Like the whole bus ride back home, I was like, I was like in shock, just like no way. And we kind of had a small conversation about, you know, where I'm going, um, like if I'm going to school or if I'm continuing, you know, this solely. And it just, yeah, it was to have someone I looked up to so much who influenced my style so much was incredible and it gave me a lot of confidence to keep going that must have been so cool as like a 16 year old 17 year old person <laughs> yeah. to have uh by the way for for listeners who may not be familiar that's justin vernon of bon Iver. Um, i'm sure you've heard of bon Iver, uh, or if you haven't heard of them you've definitely heard them and, and justin vernon is kind of the main dude um so that is a really really big deal um it, it's cool too there's elements of um i don't know if you've ever read outliers by malcolm gladwell Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, he, like he talks uh, about a huge uh, part of people's sort of, I guess, success track being a lot of it just being kind of in the right place at the right time to leverage what's available to them. And so it sounds like you really hit that sweet spot, not to take anything away from your, your ability, but you hit that sweet spot on YouTube that really helped you kind of boost yourself your, yourself forward into this. Oh, totally, totally. Um yeah, definitely. I was I was super lucky to hit at that time. Would you, and you said today, people posting cover songs is, is almost like oversaturated. So w- do you have any, I'm just curious, is there anything you might tell a musician listening to this or, or maybe even an actor, somebody that, that wants to use leverage technology to sort of amplify their platform? Would you tell them to start on YouTube or would you give them different advice? I think YouTube is still a very good way to get out there um, because people are looking at videos all the time. And if you have the right kind of content, like if if you find something that's kind of like, um, for instance, I, I recently did this uh, cover of this video game theme song, Kingdom Hearts, who has like an enormous following. And I, you know, I played it growing up. It was one of my favorite things. So I felt like I could tap into this pool of people who are very similar to me. Um, and do my own rendition of something that means a lot to people. Like if you can find something, uh, like that, I think nowadays you can, it's, you can, um, make a lot of noise. I think it's just all about really finding what's passionate, what what you're passionate about and doing it. Because I I think it's, people can see that very, very clearly and instantly on YouTube. And if it's, you know, if it's a cover 
that you're just kind of like, yeah, it's cool, but it's popular, whatever, I'll do it. Like, I don't know. I feel like I don't like that approach. I feel like if you're doing something, it should sound like you. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. One thing we talk a lot about on the show is, um, you know, when it comes to different approaches to a career, we, we sort of liken it to using a sniper rifle or a shotgun. I know it's kind of violent, but the idea (laughs) being that like with a shotgun, you're just kind of like spraying a wall and hoping to see something that sticks. And with Mm -hmm. a sniper rifle, you're very focused and very specific about what you want to do, what sort of markets you want to, um, penetrate and and things like that. And so it sounds like that's something that you really advocate is is not just doing something because it's popular and hoping for views, but really doing something that is specific and, and personal to you. Totally, totally. Yeah, I, I do think people can kind of feel when you're putting something extra into your work, like something that resonates with you, I think they can really see. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so why did you start out with covers and not just jump directly into uh, sharing your own work? Let's see. Well, I started posting covers. I, I think my first video was like seventh or eighth grade um, in middle school. And at that time, I wasn't yet composing my own works. So I think it was like a, a really good bridge for me to kind of like get used to the idea of like one performing in front of someone that like isn't myself in the mirror. And it, and it warmed me up to actually thinking about writing lyrics because prior to that I had written, you know, like piano compositions and stuff like that. But I think um, it kind of led me in the right direction. And in doing so and doing covers, I was able to foster um a really kind fan base of people who listen to the same kind of music I was mm. listening to. It's much harder to reach an audience with original work on YouTube because it's just not searched. You know, it's not searched as much as other songs that are out there. Right. That That's kind of why I did, did that. And then the original stuff started trickling in. Oh, that's a really great strategy just to kind of make yourself more findable by um, yeah. you know, having those key words of popular musicians in, in your your video copy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's great. Another piece of it. Um, I was reading steel like an artist by Austin Kleon. Mm. Um, have you ever heard of that book? I've I've heard of it. I haven't read it, but I really want to. It's it's really both of it. He's got two of them sort of in a series, uh, steel like an artist and show your work. And they're both just phenomenal. I've read them multiple times and every time I reread them, I pick up new stuff, but in steel like an artist, he, uh, really advocates artists, um, doing covers or copying the work of people that they really admire because it, it teaches them to sort of think uh, in in a similar way and to be in the same sort of creative space. And, and you sort of learn through osmosis how to work as that person might. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another really great way to to sort of hone your craft. And would you say that your your time doing covers influenced your your original work? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was doing a lot of like Sufjan Stevens covers, um, Bon Iver, what else did I do? Some Imogen Heap. And those were all artists I was looking up to at the time. And I still do. Um, And yeah, definitely in doing covers like that, I think their styles kind of all merged together and influenced mine. And yeah, I think that's just so important because when you're just starting something like I, I didn't think I, I didn't know what my song was. I just knew what I liked. And so when you mimic that, I feel like you put a little of yourself and a little of the people that you like to listen to in it and you 
that's how you you make your own sound yeah yeah i love that i i recently just finally finished because i have so many unfinished tracks but i finally finished a cover of hurt by nine inch nails and it was oh. it was such a cool process because i knew i didn't want to just do an exact copy of it um mm-hmm. but i didn't know what i wanted to do differently and it, it just ended up being sort of like a elements of like John Tesh and like, you know, like all this weird stuff that, that sort nice. of came out, but it ended up uh, being its own thing. And I can't hear um, how, how sort of how much it's strayed from the original. Cause I started just sort of like sticking to the original as much as possible. But, mm-hmm. but, but some people have said like, Oh, you really made it your own. I'm like, did I, huh. <laughs> I did the same exact vocal line and everything. Um, mm. But in any case, that's I, awesome. yeah. And I, I think that's a really sort of, powerful thing to underline in this interview is that maybe if you're a writer, I've heard, you know, some writers advocate, uh, you know, copying word for word, some of the classics like Moby Dick, which is a huge undertaking. Uh, and for artists or for actors, rather, maybe it's, I don't know, reenacting a scene or, or doing some fan fiction of a, of a, you know, famous trilogy of movies or something. And for musicians, it's just covering the work of people you admire. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really cool. So I, so how did this um, influence your creative process? Uh, I'm sure covering songs was really educational, again, in a sort of osmosis way. But how, did, what does your process look like these days when you sit down to make a song out of nothing? I've always leaned more towards the music than lyric writing, um, just based on like my background in playing piano. And so... Um, I usually hear a melody in my head along with like a simple chord progression. And so I'll like, I'll play that on a piano, guitar or whatever instrument. Um, and then start like singing gibberish words, like not even like, not even trying to like make something sound smart or Mm. like make sense at all. Um, and then a few words will kind of stick here and there. And I, do it purely based on like, how does that sound versus what does it mean? Um, just, just because that helps me write. I, I, I can't, I'm not the kind of person who could sit down and write a song, like lyric lyrics first. Like I need, um, to hear a melody, some sort of, um, syllable rhythm or something. Cause that's what really gets me going. So when I did my winter album, my second album, I was getting really into production and I really like this way of, of writing where I was recording at the same time as I was writing the song. So I, I felt like the music was really influencing what I wanted to say in a way that's like very, uh, encompassing of an emotion mm, mm-hmm. versus like telling a story. So I, I think I really want to get back into that kind of writing to kind of have more of like a, a general atmospheric feeling of the song. And then, have the lyrics help that versus a very linear like story or like, this is what I want to say. Hmm. That's cool. I, I read, um, I don't know where I read this, but I've read that, uh, and I don't necessarily agree with it, that it's an amateur mistake to, to start a song, not knowing what it's about or not having a sort of theme or, or a word hmm. in mind. Would you disagree with that? Or what do you think? Oh man, I am like, I, I'm on the fence about this all the time because I, I took a songwriting class in college, which was super helpful. Um, I think my lyrics really um, took a, a step up from where they were before. But 
I, th- I think it just differs from person to person. And like, yeah. I'm not writing music to, to make like the next big hit. Like I'm, I, I don't, I write music that feels good to make. And so if that means I come up with, you know, the, the music and a feeling first before I can actually put into words, I, I it, it just differs from person to person. And mm-hmm. so long as the final product is doing what you want it to do, then like, I don't, it doesn't really matter how you get there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like too that you kind of said you start with just sort of gibberish. Like you've got the, the sort of melody of it and you just, you start to find out sort of what sounds fit well with other sounds. Um, do you find that some of the lyrics you write end up, uh, this is, I don't know how to explain this, but rhyme with some of the gibberish that you've uh, come up with as you were sort of exploring oh, well, that? Yeah. Like 99% of the time. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, I don't know why, but I just, I love like certain rhyme rhyme schemes and like um whatever kind of gibberish thing is like happening it's like that's i don't know it's just like this weird kind of like internal like knowing that like this is the kind of sound that needs to happen here and i don't i don't i can't really explain it but like i once i had kind of have that set it's really hard for me to like switch like to a different vowel there or a different ending yeah but maybe that's me just being stubborn. <laughs> I, I have I have the same exact ex- experience. I'll be writing and I'll do the, this sort of gibberish thing. And I'll be like, no, that it really needs an ah sound there. I need to find yeah. a word that has the ah sound in it. It mm-hmm. makes sense. Totally. <laughs> that's so funny, man. <laughs> so when you've got, um, I guess, when do you start to sit down to uh, to start recording and feeding some of this stuff into the, the computer? Do you start after you've got just a, a quick little chord progression or do you write the entire song first before you sit down? Um, it's, I start as soon as I can. Um, if it's like a little melody, I'll start with that and go right into Pro Tools. Um, because I feel like when I can, I just, I feel like I have more of a blank canvas when I have Pro Tools up for some reason. Hmm. Like I feel like I can get my ideas down and move on. Um, and I, that's like, it's just like when I have the most fun is when, I don't know what's happening. I don't know where the song is going, but like, I'm just kind of like, Oh, like I want to see what electric guitar sounds like here. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but it, um, it's fun. And I, mm, <laughs> I just yeah. want to keep doing it. Yeah. So you, you like pro tools and not, um, I don't know, I guess the only alternative would be logic mm-hmm. or then that would be the main sort of competitor to, to pro tools. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you just train on pro tools or are there specific things about pro tools that you prefer? Um, well, yeah, I started on Pro Tools first, so I think that's kind of why I, I definitely lean towards it more. Um, I, I did learn Logic in college, um, but since I was pretty well versed in Pro Tools, I just, you know, I stuck to it. Um, but I don't know, I, I really like, to me, it's maybe because I'm just used to it. It's just cleaner, um, like the, the way the tracks are laid out, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know why I really like hard head hard edges on the, the the tracks and in logic they're like bubbly and yeah, I, know, I yeah. just can't do it i know exactly what you mean i like to have as clean a workspace as possible <laughs> especially with those waveforms it's funny though because yeah. i i learned logic first and so i look at pro tools and i'm like eh, it's not as good as logic right <laughs> yeah, we just have our I own mean, essentially do the same exact thing so yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter but like yeah i i like pro tools cause, yeah i started off with it yeah uh, it's funny how we just have these built-in biases 
so w- how long, I'm curious, would you say it takes for you to produce the average track from the moment you sit down and start recording those initial pieces uh, in Pro Tools through to, um, I guess, having a finished track ready for sort of, sort of uh, the next level of mixing and mastering? Mm. Um, you know, it used to take me a lot shorter because, um, when I was making my first couple albums, I didn't really know much about songwriting or producing. And so I like, I didn't know like, Oh yeah, you should kind of like line up the kick drum and like the bass and like kind of play music well. And so, and at that time, you know, like beginner's luck where when you start something like everything's magical, like, oh my God, I'm playing a chord. It's beautiful. Um, so it was very easy for me to like have a large output of music. But now that I've, I've grown up, have matured my tastes, have like, um, just grown as a musician. It's, I, I think I'm taking more time just because I know like what the next level could look like. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It could take anywhere from like two two weeks, two to three weeks to like a month if I'm writing a brand new song from scratch. Wow. And do, do you find that you work on a, a single track at a time or do you sort of jump around from different songs um, as you're working on them? I, I really like working on one at a time um, because I feel like the faster I can get the song done, like the closer I am to like, to matching what I heard in my head to like what the ending product is. Like I, I'm just the more inspired when I'm, when I'm first starting a project than I am towards the end, mm-hmm. like the longer I wait. So, yeah. which is not uncommon at all. But, yeah. um, yeah, I, I try and do it as fast as I can. And then if, I kind of work on other stuff along the way. I get a little distracted. And, um, yeah, when, when I was in my songwriting class, it was like write a new song every week. And so I never had time to like produce those songs the way I really initially wanted to. And so when I went back, I felt like some of that magic was kind of gone, some of that excitement. So yeah, I like I like to like jump on it and, and try and see it through. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's really. Uh, a, 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 I, I feel like I overuse the word powerful, but I just it just comes to mind so often. I feel like that's a really powerful approach because uh, the longer we wait on something, the more we sort of convince our subconscious that it's not going to happen for us, that we're mm. not capable of doing it. And so I think there's mm-hmm. a lot to be said for just the speed of just tackling something when you have that impulse. Oh, totally. Yeah, I can be way too cautious for my own good, but um, what I find super helpful is. Um, going on those artist dates like mm, from this yeah. way and yeah. I just like I'm always so surprised at how like impulsive in the best way I become like I, I I'm like too frugal for my own good like I never like buy anything spectacularly cool or anything but I went on an artist date I went to like this art museum and I bought like some new baking spices cut up to bake and I got home like I feel great like I need to like feed this creative energy and I saw um that this uh Cavalia that like horse show with like like it's under a big tent it's kind of like Cirque du Soleil I think yeah yeah and I was like they're in town and I gotta see them and I did it and I was just so proud of myself because that's like something I would never do but like like you're saying about like following that that 
impulse. Like, you know in your gut you should do it, but like, you, you know, the longer you wait, it's not gonna happen. Hey guys, welcome back to The Bookends. So, uh, as I did not actually uh, do this interview, I am um, at a, a slight disadvantage, uh, as, as sometimes happens on the podcast. However, um, thanks to Trevor's uh, generosity and diligence, I was able to read through um, some of the notes from the from the episode from the interview. And man, what a really awesome journey! And I, you know, we have there's someone who we um, have been wanting to get on the podcast for a long time, and who will be on at some point, he's already agreed to come on the podcast, who was also at the forefront of this whole, you know, YouTube movement. And it's just so interesting what the internet, um, (laughs) it's sort of like the good and evil of the internet, right? Like it's, it's created so many amazing, amazing things and artists and given people a platform. Um, and then there's the comments section (laughs) (laughs) of like any, you know, political video or (laughs) whatever. It just gets scary. Uh, anyway, picks of the week, brother. What? So Maggie Rogers, I just clicked on this website, um, that you shared in the outline here and it's a really fascinating sort of picture. Uh, She's a musician. Yeah, I was just inspired by Marie. I was listening to Marie earlier today. You sent me, you know, her link and um, I had never heard her music before and I was, you know, um, really digging it. And it just reminded me of another indie artist who is probably not quite as far as along as Marie is as well, except for the fact that like she went viral because of, and you may have seen this Trevor on, on Facebook, um, she was going to this music school in I think New York and people who are musicians probably hate me right now because the, the school itself is very famous and I can't remember the name. They brought in uh, Pharrell to be a sort of like industry um, advisor and he listened to the, the songs from all the students in this one class and his reaction to her song was so genuine and like he was so blown away that it went viral. Mm. Just like this video of him sitting next to her listening to her song and he gets to the end of it and he's like, I have no notes for you. Zero notes. He said that is a perfect song and it's perfect because you, I can tell that you were 100% authentic in its creation. Mm. Um, and anyway, it's called the song that blew up in that viral video is called Alaska, um, which, yes, Jasmine and I definitely listened to when we took our trip multiple times. It was on loop. Um, but uh, she's got a bunch. She's got a, a few other songs as well. You can listen to. Um, I, think, I think she has a SoundCloud. But anyway, MaggieRogers.com is, is her website. So yay for in. Uh, for indie musicians between Marie and Maggie. Yeah, I did see that video, actually. I, I didn't realize it was this was the musician, but I gotta say, man, I, I love Pharrell. He's, a, he's great. He's a great dude, and you know, he's really active in the climate change uh, movement as well. Uh, not the movement, like, he's really active in the, the sort of conversation around climate change. He's very much an advocate for taking action towards a clean and sustainable future. Um, mm. He's been a part of the 24 hours of reality that the Climate Reality Project puts on. 
Um, he's definitely been vocal about his his position on that and, and the urgency that we need as a culture to address that. And I, that, you know, that <laughs> man after my own heart. That's awesome. That's awesome. Speaking of which, what is your pick of the week? I'm guessing it has something to do with that. Uh, sort of, yeah. So my pick of the week is is a kind of trifecta. It's a website um, which outlines a philosophy which uh, is encapsulated in both a TED Talk and a book. <laughs> so the website is I called... I need an app. <laughs> yeah, the website is called Carnism. Dot org, uh, and it's a it's a nonprofit organization uh, that's called Beyond Carnism, and uh, I, to me this is fascinating stuff. Uh, a woman named Dr. Melanie Joy basically coined the term Carnism, and it it's it's the invisible belief system. This is her definition of it. Carnism is the indiv- invisible belief system or ideology that conditions people to eat certain animals. Carnism is essentially the opposite of veganism, as carn means flesh or of the flesh, and ism refers to a belief system. So Dr. Melanie Joy wrote a, a book that I haven't read yet, but that's on my list, and I, I, the, the exact name of it is escaping me, but it's something like, Why We Wear Cows, Eat Pigs, and Love Dogs. And the the TED Talk that's actually on the front page of the carnism.org website is uh, one of the most uh, watched TED Talks of all time. And it, it just explores how how this whole belief system works. I mean, if you really think about it, none of us questioned growing up that cows were for killing and eating and dogs were for loving and cherishing and giving toys to. It's it's a really interesting sort of thing to 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 look at when you start really digging into it and going like, wow, at what point in my life did I start buying this ideology? At what point in my life did I, as a child who was born with essentially no ideas about what animals I should not care about and what animals I should cherish, at what point did I start to really buy into that? And it's hard to put a finger on because it's kind of like it's fed to us from birth. You know, uh, there's a guy named Gary Yurofsky. Uh, who's got a bunch of great videos on YouTube. His interview videos are are just fantastic. And he talks about how racism is instilled in us from a very young age because we're taught uh, we're taught about speciesism. So basically, we're raised to say, uh, dog, love the dog. The turkey, you're not supposed to care about the turkey. Kill the turkey. Give a name to your cat, but pigs are just pigs. They don't get names. We just kill them. And, and how that is the seed for, for learning to conditionally love different beings, different uh, creatures. And so we take that into the classroom and we start to look at kids that look different than us. And we look at other people in other parts of the world that are different from us. And we start to, it makes it much easier to draw those lines of separation because we're taught from a young age to do this with species. If you want to go down the rabbit hole of this and just explore the psychology and the cultural conditioning that happens uh, um, when it comes to speciesism, frankly, and, uh, and whatnot, uh, check out her Ted talk, check out the website. The book is on my list. And, um, you know, I, I struggle with where to draw the line on this kind of thing, because I know that this isn't the kind of thing that people want to think about or talk about or hear about or, or learn about generally, you know, burgers are good. I'm, I'm with you on that. But at the same time, I think there's an important societal 
blind spot here to examine? I think the important thing, and I was starting to come around to this even before starting my most recent uh, meditation practice. It's all. It's really the most important thing is mindfulness in in everything that we do and think and um, and practice. It takes a lot of strength, intelligence, will, um, willingness, vulnerability, especially to investigate or interrogate all of the things that we do, believe, say, consume. Right. So it's for me, it's 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 about mindfulness. Right. And and we for the most part, many of us, myself included, go about our days in a in a non mindful way. And so anything like this is just simply asking us to, you know, be mindful. It does, however, remind me of this awesome quote. I just looked it up yogi or spiritual teacher by the name of Ramana Maharshi. Um, And he said, the questioner asks, how are we to treat others? And his response is, there are no others. Hmm. Amen. That's what it reminded me of. So thank you for that. stuff. You know what I'm also going to do is I'm going to include links to the Gary Yurofsky, two or three of his videos, Um, not his, not the videos where he shares graphic footage. So no worries there, but he has a couple interview videos where he just, it's like the guy is brilliant and he really makes a compelling case for, um, you know, um, unconditional love towards all beings. So um, check out our, uh, our show notes if you'd like to dig deeper into that. And that's it. Yeah. Yes, sir. Let's uh, let's roll on out of here. Uh, today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by yours truly, AJ Meyer, and of course Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubarek is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. Timothy Patrick Waterman is director of public relations. Trevor edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. And Fern Lim designed our logo you can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes over at our website insideacting.net you can also find us on twitter instagram youtube facebook soundcloud stitcher itunes google play is coming soon and if you guys do nothing else uh, a nice favorable positive warm fuzzy review on itunes would go a really long way for us it's it's a lot like putting a tip in our tip jar and it uh really helps people trust that they're they're onto something good when they come across it in the uh in the itunes store special thanks to our sponsors rehearsal pro and vo to gogo.com and thanks to you our listeners if you love inside acting and you want to maximize its value in your life and career and support the continued production of the podcast you can sign up as a member and get cool perks like access to our private member community message board uh, invites to exclusive member meetups like the Headshot exp- or Express Headshots Day that we're holding on October 23rd. Fun freebies, special bonus content, and much, much more for just seven bucks a month or buy a full year and get two months for free. Just visit insideacting.net and click on the membership tab to get started. If that's not your thing, you can also make a one-time, no-strings-attached, tax-deductible donation if you'd like by visiting insideacting.net slash contribute. And that is it for episode 253. Jeez, that number is getting big of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, you're not a finished product.